0: Uh, We're going to do something just a bit different than what we normally do, which is okay. It's okay to do things differently. So right now I want you to have a seat because I got to introduce the series to you and then we'll stand back up for the reading of scripture in just a minute. But today we begin a new series called Established and so I want to ask you this really important question. How would you define your relationship with God? How would you define it? Uh, some of you today might say, it's, it's really confusing. Some of you might say, it's ambiguous, it's distant, it's non-existent. Some of you might say, man, I have so many questions, like, I just don't understand. Some of you may come in and you say, I'm, I'm an atheist, I just don't believe in God at all. And uh, how would you define your relationship? But maybe the better question is this. Maybe the better question is not where are you. But where do you want to be? Where do you want to be? See, I know your heart. You're amazing, amazing, amazing people. And I would guess that most of you would say that in your life and in your faith, you want to be growing. You want to be flourishing. You want to be thriving. I know, I've never met anybody who says, man, I just want to be average today. In fact, I hope I fail. I hope I stink at life. No, no, you want to, you want to grow. You want to thrive. And the way that we're going to be saying that in this series is that you are established I don't know what you think about when we talk about being established, but I often think about like big buildings that are like monumental. They always say established with the date. They seem unmovable and unshakable. But but if that's how we see established, then we miss the essence behind it. Because established means that you are flourishing, that you are growing in new ways and new ways. And that's my hope for you is that in this next season you would begin to uh, continue and begin to grow in your life and in your faith. In fact, as a church, this is my hope for us, is that we would be a church that is established, not stagnant, not unmovable and unshakable and boring, but that we would be growing. And that one of the ways that we, we indicate and understand how we're growing is when growing people grow other people. That when you are growing in your relationship with God, you realize you have a responsibility to grow others in their relationship with God. And this is our goal for the year. We said from the very beginning, this is the one thing that's going to change everything for Be in this next year, that we're going to put discipleship, we're going to put tools and resources in your hands in this next year, in all the hands of leaders, so that we can reach people who are new in faith, people who are coming to church for the first time, People who are making first time decisions, people who are being baptized, like they need somebody to walk them through this journey and you get to be the people that do that. I like to say this, that that as we begin this new growth track called Hope Discovered, where we disciple other people, I want you to know this is not a class. It's not a class. It's not a checklist. It's not a routine. For many of us, routines are things that we do that we don't think about, like brushing your teeth. Some of you should think about that more. But I want this to be a rhythm for our church. You see, a rhythm is something you do intentionally that gives you life. Like some of you understand that in the morning you need five minutes of silence. It's a rhythm because in the silence you find life. When we begin to grow other people, it's a rhythm that becomes part of who we are. And we begin to see life continue and grow. I wanna be an established church. How about you? How about you? Amen. So at the end of the series, I'm giving you five weeks to think about it. We're going to give you two on-ramps. One, we're going to give an opportunity to learn how to become somebody who leads other people in their faith. That's one. Others of you say, I'm so new, I just, I need to go through whatever it is you're talking about, this hope discovered thing. And so in five weeks, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. But today, but today we begin the series and a lot of that content is in these next few messages. So. Scripture time, would you stand with me? We're going to be reading from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Here's what it says. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Rabbi, he said, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing If you were not with him if you were not with god church last week we talked about this the things that you can do with god are amazing and powerful continues jesus says very truly i tell you no one can see the kingdom of god unless you are born again it's a funny term nicodemus asked a really good question how could you be born again when you're old surely they cannot enter a second time into their, into their mother's womb and be born again. And Jesus says to him, he says, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. He says, Nick, you shouldn't be surprised by this saying that you should be born again. And then Jesus says something really interesting. He says, The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born again. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And then there's a really powerful conversation that continues between the two of them, which I don't have time to read to you today because we have a lot to get through. But this is how Jesus ends it with them. He says, Hey, Nick, I want you to know that God loved you. Church, I need you to hear this. God loves you so much that he sent his only, only son into the world so that you would not experience death in your life, but you would experience eternal life on this side of heaven. And I love what he says. He says, Nick, I need you to know, God did not send his son into the world to condemn you, to condemn you, but to save you through me. Church, I think so often in our faith, we come from this place of condemnation and we miss what Jesus says. He says, no, I haven't come to condemn you. I've come to save you through my son, Jesus. And Nick's like, I don't understand. Can you help me? And maybe that's where you are today. And so that's where I wanna start. And so uh, the title of the message today, by the way, this comes from compliments of our student ministry and our youth pastors, uh, Pastor Molly and Connor, um, and so they have given us all the titles for this series. And so it feels cringy coming out of my mouth. You can blame them. Can we say cringy? I'm gonna say it. So here's the title of the message Define the relationship. DTR. DTR. So turn to somebody and say, Define the relationship. Define the relationship. And you can be seated. You can be seated. So let me preface this, let me just preface this whole message by saying that I have permission from my wife to share these stories. Uh, Last night at our Beaver Creek campus at 530, I had a lot of people who were offended by some of the stories I told about Janelle, and they're like, how dare you? I'm like, I have permission. She's laughing when I tell these. So usually, can I just say, can we just acknowledge Janelle for this minute? I cannot do this without her. And she is amazing. She is my wisdom. She is my help. Like... If it wasn't for her, I would be so lost in this world. But today I want to tell you how we met. And this has not gone well up to this point. Our relationship in the very first few months was absolutely confusing. And here's why it was confusing. Because when I first met Janelle, uh, when I saw her and when I began to talk with her, I thought, oh, she's different. She's different. <laughs> she's different. She's, she's not what I expected. Um, Janelle was a, a college athlete. She played soccer. So she wasn't interested in makeup and looking like, you know, just to the nines. She was interested in scoring goals and taking out people and doing all those kind of cool things. And I wasn't used to that. Like, I wasn't used to that. In fact, I was the athlete usually. And so to have somebody who was a better athlete than I was was kind of offensive. I was just different. And uh, when, when Janelle... Uh, I think she started liking me early on. Uh, there was this thing that where she wanted to kind of show that she liked me by showing me up. and so uh, whenever we would go out and do crazy things um, when we went to school, there was this old railroad bridge about forty feet in the air, and uh, there was a creek at the bottom that you could actually see the bottom, and we thought it would be cool to jump off of that into the creek. And we did, we did, we did sorry. And what was amazing about that was I would jump off, and I'm nervous of you know i 'm a little afraid of heights, but but then she would do it in a way that was way better than I did it. And I'm like, you jerk. You jerk. And I wasn't used to that. Like, it just wasn't what I expected. Like, she didn't fit in the box that I thought. And I probably didn't either. Let's be fair. Let's be fair. But then I remember the day we had a spark. And the day we had a spark was when we went to a dance with different dates. <laughs> telling you, you can't, you talk about confusing. You can't make this stuff up. We went with other people. And somehow at the end of the night, we ended up together. And it was like, I kind of like you. I don't know if you're friend material, but I'm kind of interested. Like you're fun to be around. And so when you're kind of figuring things out and it's still confusing, uh, we went on what we called a pretend date. It wasn't a real date. It was a pretend date to figure out if we actually liked, liked each other. And so we saw this movie with absolutely no words except for Tom Hanks talking to a volleyball for two hours. <laughs> Remember this? What a fantastic movie. And after the movie, I was like, mm, that was fun. And I still don't know, though. So when you're unsure about a relationship, what you do is you take them home to meet your parents during spring break. And that's what I did. I was like, she's fun. She's fun to hang out with. Like, I would love for her to meet my parents. And what a lot of people don't know is that, that my pastor growing up was her uncle. And so I was one relationship away from my wife my entire life, and I had no clue. Isn't that cool? You're just one relationship away, guys. And so I, I remember taking her home on spring break to meet my family, and my mom loved her. She was like, she's awesome. And then she said, But uh, what are you doing? I was like, Well, what do you mean? She said, are you, are you dating? No. Are you a boyfriend and girlfriend? I don't think so help me understand what's going on with this relationship I said honestly I do not know and and I remember that Janelle left midway through spring break to go back and see her parents but not only that oh this is where it gets good not only did she go back to see her parents but she went back home to go on a date with her (laughs) ex-boyfriend boo is right her ex-boyfriend and uh, I remember I was frustrated. I'm like, you know, I don't know if you know how this works, but you don't date people that you stop dating. You don't date exes. It didn't work the first time, probably not going to work the second. And, uh, and I remember standing in the road as she, she left, and I was upset. I was upset that she was going on this date. But then I remember having this thought, because I was maturing just a little bit, just a little bit, not much, but maybe a little I had this thought. I thought, Brad, why are you upset about her not being committed when you haven't been clear? See, I wanted commitment when she didn't have clarity. I wanted commitment when she didn't have clarity. And I wonder for you like have you noticed this about relationships that often relationships today are really confusing. Really confusing. Like back in the day, like when we started dating people, we would send a note and it says, do you like me? Yes or no? And then we'd sing a country song to you. That's how we asked people on dates back then. Cheesy and stupid. Or we would have a friend go and ask somebody else. We'd say, hey, I'm afraid to go ask them. I don't have the courage. Would you go do it for me? And so your friend would go ask that person. And it's like, hey, if they say no, don't come back and tell me because I want to keep my soul intact. But today, man, it's all sorts of complicated. It's all sorts of confusing. Are, are you with me on this? Like we, we have non-lationships. I don't even know what that means. We have text relationships. We have situationships. We have Snapchat relationships. Uh, some of you, I'm going to call you out right now. You are breadcrumbing. Oh, you don't know what this is? See, this is when you give somebody just enough in the relationship to keep them hanging on, but yet you aren't committed. Oh, oh, and see what happens, what happens today in these relationships is, is everything remains informal. It remains informal. And so there are no parameters. There's no guidelines. There's no clarity. And most of us walk away heartbroken, upset, and hurt. And I think the reality is most of us, we just want commitment. Commitment. We want commitment in those relationships, but for us, we need, we need clarity. We need them to define the relationship. See, this is how the world works. In order to define the relationship, you need clarity before you ever make commitment. And when you look at the story of Nicodemus and Jesus and they begin to have this conversation, Nicodemus needs clarity. This is how he's working with Jesus. Can, can we just, before we even get into this point, uh, can we just acknowledge how odd the conversation is? between Jesus and Nicodemus is. Like, I was reading it, and, and I thought, the optics of this. Like, two grown men talking about what it would be like at the age of 70 to go back into their mom's womb and be born again. Because I have an ADD. I was like, I'm interested in what that would look like. And so I, I asked Matt, our digital producer, I said, hey, man, will you send me the biggest baby bump you've ever found in history? And so this is, this is what he sent me. By the way, this is Angie. Angie goes to Be Hope, and these are two twins that were cooking in her belly at the time, and guess what? Those two twins were baptized in 2021. Can we celebrate that? That is so cool, but that's kind of like a partial visual. Like, we're talking about a grown adult in a mom's belly, And here's the thing, like a lot of us, we get caught up in this odd conversation that Jesus is happening and we're thinking about the logistics. We're thinking about the optics. If you're a Bible nerd, you get caught up in the theology of the conversation. And see, if we get caught up in the logistics and the optics and the theology, we miss the intent. We miss the intent behind the conversation. Here's what I mean. Uh, It tells us in the story that Jesus went to Nick at night, or Nick went to Jesus at night. It's Nick at night, literally. (laughs) And a lot of scholars believe that Nick went to Jesus at night because he was ashamed to be seen with Jesus. See, my question is, maybe Nick didn't feel ashamed. Maybe he was just unsure on who Jesus was. And what we find within this story is that often Jesus, when he encountered the Pharisees, by the way, those are Nick's friends, he would encounter them in broad daylight, broad daylight. And, uh, and whenever we see those encounters with the Pharisees in broad daylight, uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hatred. Uh, we'll just say this. In broad daylight, those conversations are hostile. But then, but then I think about the, the contrast and the approach. See, sometimes we say people are like water and oil. Or it's raining like cats and dogs. Sometimes we say it's the difference between night and day. And when we look at the Pharisees normally encountering Jesus during the day, they are angry and hostile. But we find Nick, who is a Pharisee, is going to meet Jesus at night. And when he goes to Jesus at night, what we find is he is open. He is receptive. He is ready. It is in complete contrast to how his friends had treated Jesus. But here's what I know about Nick. He is unsure. He is unsure about who Jesus is. He needs Jesus to define the relationship for him. And see, what Nick needs in this moment is he's saying, before I make a commitment to you, I need clarity on who you are and what you want from me. Can I ask you today, church, is your greatest hesitation with God his lack of clarity like maybe for some of us, we, we always feel like there's a lack of clarity when it comes to God's direction in our life. You ever feel a lack of clarity when it comes to, to hearing God's voice? Like, what is he really saying? Did he say that? Did he not say that? Who's talking to me? You ever had a lack of clarity when you're reading the Bible? You ever have a lack of clarity when you're in the middle of sickness and you keep asking for God to answer your prayer and you're not sure if he's even there talking to you? Like for us, it seems like there's always a lack of clarity. And we want clarity before we make uh, a commitment. And, uh, and as I think about this, for many of us, Jesus has already defined the relationship for us. But I think for us, we need to redefine our role within that relationship. See, Jesus has already DTR'd. You just need to r dtr redefine your role within the relationship. And here's what I mean by that. Is that so often we treat God, we treat God like the people we date. We treat God like the people we date. Because we want clarity. Think about this. um, Just just a minute, think about this with me. Uh, For some of us, we will say things like we place expectations on people's lives. You can have brown hair, but not long hair. You don't have to be overly handsome or beautiful, but you can't be ugly either. We think you, you, you have to be nice, but man, when I need protection, you also need to have a backbone. Uh, some of us are like, I want to know ahead of time, do, do, you, do you clean? Do you do dishes? Do you do laundry? Do you shower more than once a week? Like these are really important questions, especially when you're like in college and showers are kind of like a th- an afterthought. See, for many of us, this is how we treat God. We, we put these expectations on his life, on God and the way our relationship should look. And then we're frustrated when there isn't clarity about it. Can, can I just say, what if, what if what God really wants from you first is commitment before you have clarity? Like, whatever happened to the element of surprise within a relationship? Like, can I say it this way? When, when Janelle and I were uh, first married, coming back from our honeymoon, it was the first week, the first week. And uh, we had to set bedroom etiquette. This is rated G, I promise. I <laughs> promise. But I remember, I remember Janelle, uh, uh, we, it was late one night, we were going to bed. It was like day two of being home, like it's real marriage now. And I was like, I, uh, I think married people cuddle. And so I said, hey, can we, can we cuddle before we go to bed? Because I'm a cuddler. And uh, she's like, sure. <laughs> and so uh, I remember reaching over, putting my arm around her, thinking, wow, I am married. This is amazing. And before I could get that thought out of my head, she goes, that's enough. <laughs> Stop. Stop. I was like, what do you mean stop? Like It's 10 o'clock. She's like, I know, I'm tired. I'm tired, I want to go to bed. And I didn't know, I didn't know ahead of time that my princess would turn into a pumpkin at 10 (laughs) p.m. And and she said to me in that moment, I will never forget, she's like, listen, there's this invisible line in the bed that is your side and this is my side, don't cross it after 10 p.m. And I thought she was joking. I'm like, is this funny? This is a joke, right? She's like, no. She grabbed a pillow and put it between us and said, your side, my side. And here's what I, what I think about that moment. Surprise, surprise, surprise. surprise. But, but when I think about that moment, here's what I also think about was I was committed to her before that expectation was ever made clear. I was committed to her before there was ever clarity around some of the things that would happen in our marriage. See, this is how we have to redefine a relationship with God is so many of us want the clarity before we make the commitment, but what if you made the commitment before there was clarity? Think about it this way. What if you chose God in the way that God already chose you? What if you made a commitment to God in the way that he's already been committed to you? Can I tell you, some of you inspire me because in your faith, you've been re- remain, you've remained committed even though the path becomes unpredictable. Can I just let you know, when you say yes to God, it will always be unclear. Not always, but most of the time. It's a mystery. You won't understand it. It's unpredictable. It's unclear. But here's the beauty of it. When you commit to him and things are unclear, that's where it gets exciting That's where you find your wonder and your passion and your joy. And like there's adventure around every single corner when you are committed to him. Oh, man, I love this thought that maybe some of us, man, if our faith is boring, we're just serving the wrong God. Because every time that we're committed to him, there's this element of surprise that we begin to unveil. This is why Jesus says to Nicodemus within the story, he says, listen, this whole wind thing. You can hear it sound, but you can't see it coming and you don't understand where it goes. What he is telling Nicodemus is you're trying to get clarity about our relationship that I can't give you. But what I can tell you is that when you commit to me, there is a God in this world who moves on his time and in his way with his own understanding and his own leaning. And he puts his grace and his work and his forgiveness and his love and everything that he wants to offer the world at his time. And in his way. And when we make the commitment, there is surprise, church. There's surprise in the ways he shows up. Can can I let you know, maybe this has been you. You ever been rehashing the past in your brain of where you've been? And all of a sudden, you feel this embrace of God's presence and peace over your life. And suddenly, you become aware of his forgiveness that that you've never heard of or thought of before. You're surprised. Some of us, oh, like... You've had this moment where you're short on guts, you're short on strength, you're short on patience, you're feeling weak in your life, and suddenly out of nowhere, there is a boldness of faith that begins to rise within your soul, and you're like, I don't know where this is coming from. And then you take a step that you never thought you would take, and you see God show up, and you're like, wow, surprise. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like for some of us, the loftiness of our prayers overshadow overshadow the doubts that we feel within our life. And when you begin to continue to, to pray out to God and say, I know you hear me even though I don't understand, we often find that there's a surprise on the other side. You know what the greatest surprise of faith is? Is that sometimes in my unbelief, I find that I still believe in God. You ever had this doubt? this sense in your life that I'm not, I'm not sure if God is real. I have unbelief, but yet I still believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. And there is an element of surprise. See, see when addicts get sober, when prisoners are set free, when the chains of your life begin to fall off of you and when God moves in people's lives that we have written off for all of eternity and his love and his grace and his power moves in ways that we didn't expect, there is always a surprise with God. And the greatest surprise that this world has ever known is that God has valued the relationship with you so much that he sent his son to this world so that no one would perish No one would perish. All of you have value and that you would experience eternity and full life on this side of heaven, not just in the future. And God says to you, I don't know how you've come in, but I want you to know I've sent my son not to condemn you, but to save you from your sins, not to condemn you, but to save you through my son, Jesus. Church, I need you to know if you don't believe it, that the old is gone, the new has come. God has already given you clarity today about what he has done for you, but you need to be committed to the relationship, committed to what he has done for you. And I get interested because Jesus says to us, um, hey, I've I've sent my son not to condemn you, but to save you. But I wonder for many of us, um, how often, how often does our faith come from a place of condemnation instead of salvation? Just me? How often in our life do we feel like God is consistently condemning us? Instead of our faith coming from a place of, oh, God has God has saved me. Uh, Going back to the discussion with Nicodemus, real quick, Uh, Jesus says to him, He says, You should not be surprised, Nick, that I've told you to be born again. Uh, I want you to know, Jesus does not win his converts through sarcastic comments. What Jesus does do is he wins Nicodemus by what he understands. I need you to know today that God will always win you by what you understand. Like, I don't know at what point in this moment like you're gonna resonate with what I'm saying. Hopefully God will speak to you clearly. But God always speaks to us in ways that we understand. And so when he tells Nick, you need to be born again, Nicodemus is reminded because number one, he's a Pharisee and he pretty much knows all of the Old Testament that had been given to him. And he's reminded of the prophet Ezekiel who says this to him. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all your idols. He says, I will give you a new heart, a new heart, and put in you a new spirit. You will be born again. And then he says this. This is so key. He said, I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. See, Jesus is trying to address Nicodemus' deepest need in this moment. And Nick's deepest need in this moment is how he understands his relationship with God. See, when he says, I'm going to replace your heart of stone, it's because Nick literally has a heart of stone. He's not an angry human being. He's not mad. He's not upset. But here's the thing with Nick. Nick has been given a heart of stone from all of his ancestors. Like, here's what he found out. He went to Ancestor.com put in some names, and all of a sudden there was this huge past of everything that happened within his great, 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 great grandparents and aunts and uncles and all those people. And here's, here's what they know is that his aunts and uncles watched Charleston Heston, I mean Moses, go up to the, psh, dumb, go up to the mountain, watch Moses go up to the mountain, where God began to inscribe with his finger the law on tablets of stone. There it is. See, Nick's relationship had been defined through the law. Nick's relationship with God had been defined through a a legal system. Now, let me just pause pause right here. Um, I'm not going to pigeonhole our legal system. Can I just let you know, I believe there are really good things that happen within our legal system. Hear me say that. I have nieces that are beautiful and amazing because of the legal system. They were adopted. Good stuff. But for me, often when I think about the legal system or the law, it is there to remind us of what we've done wrong, of what we've gotten wrong. And I don't know about you, but when when I feel like I've done something wrong, I often feel condemned. Condemned. And see, Nick is consistently reminded so often by the law of what he gets wrong in his life that his relationship with God is defined by condemnation. Can, can I just say, I don't know how you could possibly find yourself connected to a God who is constantly condemning you for your, for your faith or for getting it wrong. Let me give you a, a real-time example in my life. Um, you guys remember Dylan Robinson... Never looking back. Can we give Dylan a hand? What an amazing message in the fall. If you missed it, go back and watch it. Uh, But we took Dylan and his crew, Selena and Austin, the worship pastor from their church uh, at the well. We took them out for lunch after the weekend. And so we went to to Barbecue City. Anybody love some good barbecue? I must be in Beaver Creek. Okay. Took them to Barbecue City and... And when we finished, uh, I realized, oh, i got to go back to the church to get something for them. And so uh, I took a wrong turn. Took the wrong turn. Um, I ended up going out this one direction that takes me over to a road by Speedway. If you're online, don't worry about all those details. We'll get to the point in a second. But some of you know this. And when I got over by the Speedway, there was a sign that said, do not enter. Now, mind you, I have... Dylan and Selena in a car behind me. I have my kids in the back seat, and I have my beautiful bride sitting next to me. And I see this sentence that says, do not enter, and I look around, and I'm holding up traffic, and I'm like, I don't see another exit. And so I decided in this moment that I didn't care. <laughs> like, sometimes it's fun to be disobedient. <laughs> and I said, I'm going for it. Love, I don't have time for this. I just can't wait anymore. And so so I did. I went out the exit where only people could enter. Right? And this is my point. The sign was there to remind me of the law. And when I broke the law, my beautiful wife reminded me of what I'd done wrong. She said, we have guests behind us. Like, they're going to think you're a nut job. And I'm like, well, that's already been validated, so who cares? I am crazy. She's like, yeah, man, we have kids in the back seat, and you're setting a bad example. And see, because of the sign that was the law, I was reminded of what I've done wrong. And often what happens when it comes to what we've got wrong, we are reminded of what we are not. See, I wanted to say in the moment, like, what about the 99 times that I got it right? What about the times that I exited the right way? Well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about everything that I got wrong. And I tell you, I'm driving down the street at 60 miles an hour feeling condemned because of what what I've done wrong, literally 60 miles an hour. I love weaving through traffic like it's NASCAR. But my point is this, is that in that moment, I was reminded of what I was not can I let you know that this is how we often feel in our approach to God is that often we are reminded of what we are not. Can I let you know that is the lie from the enemy? God's word is never about accusation and telling you what you're not. Some of you on repeat in your head, you're saying, I'm not a good parent, I'm not a good person, I'm not patient, I'm not a good student, I'm not good at test taking, I'm not good at this spiritual thing, I'm not good at reading the Bible, I'm not good at praying, I'm probably not forgivable, I'm probably not lovable. Like I am not, I am not, I am not. Can can I let you know? That when you consistently live out of a place from I am not, you will always feel separated and disconnected from God. But God did not come here to make you feel separated. He came here for you to understand that you have been saved. And it's in Ezekiel when he says the flesh is here, he's saying Jesus has arrived and your identity is in who I am. This is why I say, church, you have to say in your head not what I am. I am not, but you have to say I am. See, I am who God says that I am. Say it right now. I am. Come on. I am. I am. I am who you say I am. Put it in the chat. I am who you say I am. I am forgiven. I am set free. I am highly favored. I am a son and a daughter of the Most High God who believes that I am so valuable and cherished that he would not stay separated, but he would send his son to connect me in a way that I would understand that I am saved, not condemned. Come on, church, let's celebrate that today. Let's celebrate it. So, um, that's all really good stuff. Commitment before clarity. Clarity. God's come to save you not condemn you. That's pretty clear. But but here's where we take the giant leap of faith. Just don't do this in your state. I'm going to do it for you. This is where we make the giant leaps in faith. Oh, that felt really good. Is when we begin to see that we are not just saved from sin, but you are saved for a reason. You are not just saved from sin, but you are saved for a reason. Let me say it this way. Uh, yes, God has saved you from addiction. Yes, God has saved you from the past. He has saved you from the hurt. He has saved you from the brokenness. He has saved you from the pain. He has saved you from everything that you thought you weren't. But often what happens in our faith is that we end up defining our lives from that moment. We define our entire faith through this salvation moment where we say, oh, that's, that's what God's done in me, but that's all he's gonna do. Can I let you know that the moment that God saves you, it is not the arc of your story, but it is the trajectory of where God wants to take you because you have been saved, not just from sin, but for a reason, for a reason. Let, let me explain it this way. And I'm gonna do this quickly. Last week, last night, um, I was given this amazing compass. By the way, can we thank the United States Air Force and the 88th Security Squadron for, for giving this to me today? Yeah. Uh, when I asked my friend who's in the Air Force uh, if he had a compass, I thought, do they, do they use compasses in the Air Force? They do. They do. <laughs> Not the Space Force. I like that. That was good. Whoever said that. But here's, here's, I was like, how do you connect this idea that you were not just saved from sin, but you were saved from a reason? Uh, and here's what I thought. Uh, I thought about land navigation when I was in the Army. And see, what happens is I'm going to skip a lot of details because I got into the details last night and everybody got lost. And so uh, in land navigation, uh, you're trying to get from point A to point B. Point A to point B. And so what happens is you do all these calculations and, and you find what we call an azimuth. It's a fun word to say in church. Everybody say azimuth. Mm, I don't know if that felt wrong to you. kind of does. But but to get to point B, you would have to know what degree you're headed on. And so you would take your compass, and you would shoot an azimuth. I have to go 98 degrees. I would aim my compass at 98 degrees. And then there's these these crosshairs in the compass. And you put the crosshairs on an object, and you say, that's where I'm going. That's what I'm meant for. That's where I need to go. That's my destination. That's where I need to arrive. See, God, God shoots an azimuth on your life when you are saved and he says to you, there's the destination. There is the purpose. There is the reason why you are here. And he says, now go. I've saved you. I've given you a direction. Now go. And, and do you know what most of us do? This is our greatest struggle. Is we like, no. I like point A. I like it when God saved me from my sin. And we believe that this is the only story that God wants to tell through us. God saved me. But people aren't interested in the fact that God just saved you. Church, I need you to know that people are interested in what God is doing in your life right now. And so when God shoots an azimuth on in your life, he says, take the step. you got to start taking the moves. And you finally have to get to the point that you are directed for, your reason. Because when you get to the other side, it's then you can look back and say, wow, look how far I've come. Look at what God has done in my life. Look at the miracles of what I used to be. But now look at how he is using me, church. You are saved from sin because God has given each of you a reason. In fact, we find this, oh, this is the best part in Nick's story, in Nicodemus's story. What if Nicodemus, I thought about this, what if Nick just remembered the conversation and that was it? Yeah, there was this night where we had this herring conversation and Jesus said all these really confusing things and then I put him in, the, in his place, but then I believed in him. What if that was the only thing that Nick lived on? And what we find is at the end of John's gospel, he tells Nick's story in chapter three, but in chapter 19, we see Nick one more time. And it says this, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, He was accompanied by the man who had visited him at night. It was Nick at night. He brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it up, and they put spices and aloes and myrrh on him and strips of linen. Then, in accordance with the Jewish burial customs, they placed him in the tomb. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby Nicodemus laid Jesus in the tomb see what Nick knew was his life was not just about the conversation that he had with Jesus but what he had learned through God was that he had a reason and his reason was not just to pull Jesus' body off the cross but it was to prepare it for the best day in history. Not only did he prepare it for the grave, but he prepared Jesus for the moment where Jesus walked out of the tomb and said, church, there is no sin. There is no victory and death, but rather I have been given the power to give you life. Nick is the one who prepared Jesus for that because he knew his reason. And so as we finish this out, this is not just an ancient story, but these are real life stories of people that Be Hope. And I want you to hear Ashley's story as we close this time out.
1: I was resistant to even given. And coming to church, I heard a lot about CR. And so I went in to celebrate recovery one Wednesday night but I know I heard God speak to me and tell me that I needed to change my life or I was going to die. At that point, I was able to then stop not only the alcohol, but the drugs. I gave everything over to God and I just sit, I pray daily, like multiple times a day now, which before I had stopped doing completely. I didn't pray. I didn't do anything. I still have the temptation every now and then, But whenever I have that temptation, I know I can just turn to God and pray, and he will help me through it, distract me, lead me somewhere else, something will happen, and I am like, oh, well, I gotta go do this. With my recovery happening, my husband has now seen how much better my life has become and is becoming without the alcohol and the drugs, and he has now started his recovery journey because I talked to him about how mine changed and he's seen it, he's seen God work through it he's seen me be able to just be a parent and be present in my family's lives again I came to church and I reconnected with God and now I wake up every morning and I thank God that I'm still breathing and I'm still here and that I have my kids and I can be part of that life I am excited to join Hope Discovered. I know that much. I looked at my sister. I looked at my husband. I was like, I'm doing that. And they're like, what? Are you sure? And I was like, heck yeah, I'm sure. I might not know what I'm doing, but God's going to lead me through it.
0: Come on. Come on. Hey, would you stand with me in this moment? Stand with me in this moment. What a powerful story. I hope you heard uh, heard Ashley say it today. She said, God saved me from the addiction. He saved me from the alcohol, but he saved me for a reason, to speak into my husband's life, and now he is on his journey. I need you to hear this today. You do not fix a computer because you believe it's not usable anymore. You fix your car because you believe it's drivable You repair your marriage because you believe there's still hope for a future with you. I want you to know that God rescues you and saves you because he believes that you have a purpose. But I want you to know the only way that you can step into your reason today is when you are fully committed. Church, I need you to know you will not always have clarity about where God is taking you, but when you are committed to him, when you lay it all on the line, when you lay your hands out and fully give your life over to him, you find your calling within that. And so today, I'm just begging you, I'm giving you the opportunity to give it all to him, to commit to him in this moment and realize this is how God defines your life, is what you are called to and your reason and what you are made for. So today, church, today, church, lay it all out there and commit your life to him. I pray over you. God, we are so grateful. For the ways in which you continually show up in our lives and I pray today that as we come into this place consistently feeling like we are never enough I pray today that we would be aware that you have saved us for a purpose and today we we begin our journey by committing to you everything that we have our gifts our talents our past our future we put it in your hands and I pray that as we continue to take steps oh you would use us to tell your story, that there would be miracles that are evident of your life in us. And we will give you all the glory and praise. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray this. Amen.